Hey, this is Aaron Brockett, lead pastor of Traders Point Church. Regardless of where you are tuning in around the world or if you call Indianapolis home, I just wanna thank you for tuning in to our weekly message podcast. Our prayer and desire is that God would take the content of these messages and use it to encourage you in your relationship with Jesus as you discover God's purpose for your life. saw this uh, story from uh, Six Flags in Texas from a few years ago, but uh, there was a uh, roller coaster that got stuck upside down mid-flip. Any of you see this? And uh, it doesn't take much for me to just even just look at this picture and to just sort of feel uh, on edge. Like I could just imagine what it might have felt like to be sitting in this position and you're just feeling stranded and fearful and vulnerable and not quite sure how you're going to get out of this particular situation and that's just fear inducing anxiety producing for me just to look at that and I like roller coasters uh, over the years we've uh, taken our family to amusement parks and and oftentimes go on a roller coaster with, with my kids and and then when we get done we'll go over to the the little booth you know where they take the picture of you like in your worst possible moment and, and we've, we've purchased a few of those. And this is from a few years ago. This is me and my daughter, Campbell. Uh, she's, she, she's 14 now. She's probably six or seven in this picture. She's actually having a lot more fun than what it appears, all right? I don't think I'm going to win any Dad of the Year awards with this uh, image right here. But uh, actually, to be fair... Uh, over fall break, we went to another amusement park, and, and Campbell loves roller coasters, and so she wanted to go on one. We went on a really big one, and we, we stopped at the little booth and looked at the picture, and something strange has happened. I've reached that place in my life. I, I'm to the age now where I was the one that looked terrified, and she had both hands up in the air, looking like she was having a great time, but you'll never know it because I didn't purchase that picture. All right, I just, <laughs> just got this one. And you know, Life can be sort of like this, can't it? I mean, life is a little bit like a roller coaster with lots of ups and downs and unexpected twists and turns and kind of flips us upside down every now and then. And I think that what can make it even more challenging is that maybe we're on this roller coaster of life and we're sort of fearful as to what's going on around us or up ahead of us. But then when we look around to the people we're sort of doing life with, they look like they're having a great time. And it's kind of like, well, what's wrong with me? Why can't I enjoy life the way that they are? And so today and next week, we're just going to pause right before the holidays. And we're just going to do a short two-part series of messages on a very heavy but very relevant subjects of anxiety and depression. Now, before we get started, I just want you to, to know that uh, one of the things that I will often do when I'm preparing a message is after I've studied and prayed and done a bunch of writing and developed some content, I'll push myself back from the computer and I'll stand up and I'll begin to just sort of walk around and I will imagine what, what would I be thinking or feeling or asking if I were sitting where you're sitting right now? And I think even... I've done that more intentionally this week with this particular message, the sensitivity of this topic. And so I just want you to know, maybe some of you, you, you knew we were talking about this today and you, you've been ready for it. You've been excited to hear what God might say uh, to us today from it. But, but I'm under no illusion that all of us would be. 
Maybe, maybe there's somebody here today, you didn't know we were talking about this, just this is the day you decided to come check it out, come visit, and uh, right now you're sort of looking for the exits. And you're like, man, preacher, if you start saying something weird or make me uncomfortable, I'm out of here. Can I just say, I hear you. I know. Maybe some of you came today because you've been getting this invite from somebody that you know, and you're a bit of a people pleaser, and so you told them yes, even though you really didn't want to come, and, and so here, here you are. Can I, can I just reassure you that what I want to accomplish today is re really just three things. First of all, I, I just want you to feel encouraged. Don't move past that too quick. I want you to feel encouraged. The second thing is I want you to, to know what God's Word actually has to say about this subject. It turns out that He's far from silent on it. He has a lot to say. And the third thing is I want you to walk out of here today, regardless of what campus you may be joining us from, and I want you just to, to feel some hope. I want you to hold on to hope. Now, I also want you to, to know that I'm not a doctor. All right, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm, I'm not even a very good counselor. Don't tell anybody I said that. But those of you who've come to me for counseling, you'd probably agree. You're like, yeah, you're not so great, right? That's just had better advice from a fortune cookie. That's actually more true than I want to admit, all right? Uh, so I'm none of those things. Uh, I am a human being, and, and I'm, I'm a pastor. And I just, I've been through this. I've, I've experienced what we're talking about today and next week. And, and people around me, ones that are close to me, they, they've experienced it. I, I know what this can feel like. I just want you to know that you're not alone. And so let me, let me just kind of give a, a definition or a description of what we mean by anxiety. So that way we're all on the same page. Anxiety is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Now, under that definition, this is all of us. Like, we all fit underneath this on the spectrum somewhere in some way. And if we were to look, maybe some, ask some of the questions why, I think one of the contributing factors would just be the sort of um, high-pressured, fast-paced world in which we now live. Um, a psychologist by the name of Robert Lee in his book Anxiety Free says it this way, the average American teenager today exhibits the same level of anxiety the average psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. We live in an age of anxiety. We've become a nation of nervous wrecks. And I think that um, we look at maybe some of the reasons around us and one of it is just, just stress you know, uh, Harvard B Business Review says that between 60 and 90% of medical visits can be traced to stress-related issues in our lives. Uh, one is, I think, uh, just the, uh, the use of cell phones and social media. Now, I'm not, I'm not down on cell phones and social media. I have them both, and I think they're great tools. I think that it's an incredible invention. I love the fact that we can stay connected. You know, you can FaceTime your grandkids across the country, and you can kind of check Instagram and see what your friends are doing. But I think that all of us would agree that we sort of crossed a line. I'm not exactly sure when, but it's sort of like becoming an unhealthy thing because we have never been more connected to other people than we are today, and yet at the same exact time, never felt more isolated. And it's like this really dark place that we can go to where we're, we're at home by ourselves on a Saturday night and we just open up Instagram, maybe without even thinking about it, and we just start scrolling. 
And there we are, sitting in our, you know, pajamas with the stain on the front. And we see our friends on some exotic trip, you know, to Vegas or the Bahamas. And all of a sudden, we start to think, what's wrong with me? Where's my life going? What am I doing wrong? And why am I not with them? Why didn't I get the invite? We just get this, like, serious case of FOMO. I didn't cuss right there, all right? That's fear of missing out. And it just sort of produces this anxiety that we didn't have a few years ago. A guy by the name of Stephen Elardi in his book, The Depression Cure, he says this about our lifestyles. We were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life that we now live in. And so what can happen is that... Um, Stress is just a, a, a common thing we're all going to experience in life. There's no, there's no getting out of all stress. But what can happen is that stress turns into stressful days. And if we don't do anything about it, then stressful days becomes long-term stress. And then long-term stress, if we don't do anything about it, becomes extreme stress. And there's a technical term for it. It's called stress-induced analgesia. And basically, this just means that we start living with stress for so long over a certain period of time that we just begin to assume that this is our norm. That it's normal to feel this way and yet it's, it's not normal. Well, what it's doing is it's, it's slowly depleting our mind and our mind is beginning to get exhausted and vulnerable and broken down to this place where we begin to experience painful anxiety. And painful anxiety left unchecked long enough, you can find yourself in this pit of depression and you're not quite sure how to get out. So let me define depression for us. Depression is a mood disorder characterized by anhedonia. That just means the inability to experience pleasure anymore. Extreme sadness, poor concentration, sleep problems, loss of appetite, and feelings of guilt, helplessness, and hopelessness. And this is just rampant throughout our society today. And if you are, if, if I just read that and if you could see yourself in part of that description or maybe in all of it, I just want you to know that, that you are not alone. And the spectrum of anxiety and depression, all of us find ourselves on it somewhere. We all know what it feels like to feel a little bit anxious because traffic's bad in the morning and we're going to miss our meeting. And then some of us know what it feels like to feel anxious. We don't really know why. We just woke up and we just feel sad or blue. And others of us, maybe we've been diagnosed with something much more serious. And maybe we have a, a mental uh, illness or disorder or we're experiencing depression due to some sort of trauma or abuse in our past. And when I say trauma or abuse, I'm not necessarily talking about the physical kind. I'm talking about the emotional kind, which many times is is just as damaging, if not more. And what I mean by emotional trauma, especially for maybe those of us in our formative years, in the homes of our origin, and maybe somebody that you really needed in your life to give you those words of affirmation or those emotional needs, sort of like nutrients to the root system of your life, you really needed that person to say something to you, but they'd never say it. You just really needed your dad to say he was proud of you. He would never say it. You really needed your mom to say she loved you and that you're enough, but she would never say it. And maybe somebody said something to you 
And maybe it was even unintentional, but it was emotionally traumatizing. Now, here's the thing. As a young child in your formative years, you haven't developed the skills to evaluate and dismiss. You just receive it like a sponge, and it just gets imprinted onto your soul, and you develop these like sort of neuropathways that this is how you think, and this is how you see yourself based upon the words of others or the lack of words from others. And I just want you to know that if that's you, I'm right there with you, that you are not alone. And others of us, maybe you've been diagnosed with some sort of mental illness, and the unfortunate thing is that mental illness and disorder has sort of been taboo. It's sort of been a stigma, not only in our society, but unfortunately within the church. And tragically, it's been magnified at times within the church. And so maybe you confided in a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a group leader or a youth group leader, and they just looked at you like you were crazy. Or they didn't know what to say, or they... They tried to, they got uncomfortable, and they tried to just explain it away with trite little responses, like, well, just, just pr pray more. Or, or maybe you just, you just need to have a stronger faith, or, or maybe worse yet, they kicked you when you were down, and they said, well, is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Maybe that's why you're feeling all this anxiety. You've got some unconfessed sin, and God's trying to get your attention, and none of that has helped. Can I just tell you, you're not going to hear any of that from this stage this week or next. What the stigma has done is it's sort of reinforced in your mind that there's something wrong with me. Listen, it's not a sin to be sick. And we've got to put an end to that stigma in Jesus' name. See, you would never... You, you would never think less of somebody that had some sort of a physical ailment like the flu. Or a pulled muscle or a broken leg. You would just go, well, you, you're, you're, you're hurting or you're sick, but there's nothing wrong with you. And the pain of a depleted mind is just as real as the pain of a broken leg. And so many times we maybe think that it's shameful to go get help or to go get medical treatment, and it's, it's not. Just like if you were to, I think many times whenever we find ourselves in that place, and maybe we say, maybe others say to us, well, just snap out of it. Just be positive. Just think good thoughts. And that's kind of like, I can't. Or you're like, hey, God, please take this from me. And you've prayed that, and it doesn't feel like God's taking it from you. And can I just say that more than likely, God won't take it from you, but he will heal you from it. And healing is the word. Now, here's what I want you to know about healing. Healing is a process. It's a pathway. And so depression isn't so much a pit as much as it's a tunnel. Right? Tunnels and pits are both dark. One tunnel's got a way out. And so God will meet you in that place and help you heal. It's just like if you've got a broken leg. You don't say, God, please take this from me. No, you're like, God will heal you from it. By how? Well, by going to the hospital, getting the bone reset. Then that, that's, un, that's painful. Then getting a cast put on, that's uncomfortable and inconvenient. Then after that, then maybe walking with crutches for a while and then doing some physical therapy and then getting to this place where you build the strength back. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a healing process. And mental illness and even just the depletion of our minds works the same way. God will meet you in it and heal you by helping you walk out of it. So let's look at what God's word actually has to say about this 
One of the things that might surprise you is that a lot of who we might uh, think would be the heroes of the faith in the Bible uh, really struggled with anxiety and depression. Uh, That's true with uh, heroes in history. Did you know that Winston Churchill and Abraham Lincoln and even the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, they all wrestled with anxiety and depression. And we see this in the Old Testament book. There's actually a whole book of the Bible devoted to a guy named Jeremiah airing out his feelings of anxiety and depression. It's called Lamentations. And the word means to lament. And listen to what he, how he describes the state of his mind in chapter 3, starting in verse 2. Jeremiah says, He has led me into darkness, shutting out all light. What's he saying? Well, anxiety and depression feels like darkness. I I look all around, I don't know where to go. He has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. What's he saying? This feels relentless. When's it going to ever let up? And then he says, he has made my skin and flesh grow old. What's he saying? He's saying, this is aging me. I feel like i got all these miles kind of put on my physical body because of these emotions that I feel. And he goes on in verse 5 and He says, he has besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distress. In other words, I'm surrounded by these emotions and I don't know how to get free from them. And then on down in verse 17 and 18, he says, peace has been stripped away. Like like I've had something taken from me and, and I've forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out. Now notice that Jeremiah is telling us what he has been saying to himself. That's why it's in quotes. My splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. Now what he is doing here is what a lot of psychologists, they have a name for it, they call it um, ruminating. And ruminating is like um, negative self-talk. Like what Jeremiah just said there was real because it was what he felt, but it wasn't true. And so ruminating is this like idea, kind of like a cow that chews its cud, like it eats the grass, it chews it, swallows it, regurgitates it, chews it again, swallows it, keeps doing that process. Many of us can do this with negative thinking, negative self-talk. And so we're just sort of ruminating on some of these like false narratives, or I might even call it toxic stories that get ruminated through our mind. You ever do that? You ever get alone by yourself and you just start thinking why did she say that and what did he mean by that and why didn't they do this and why why what was I thinking when and you just start ruminating hey listen it's real because it's emotions emotions are real doesn't mean it's true I was uh, watching a uh, documentary uh, about uh, 10 years ago called The Bridge. And in 2004, there was a film crew that set up cameras on either side of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco uh, for other purposes. But what they unintentionally caught was several people uh, committing suicide by jumping off of the bridge. And they created this documentary where they actually told the stories of the people who jumped. And uh, obviously many of them passed away, but not all of them did. And there was one young man, he was a teenager, who had jumped off the bridge. He had survived. And they were catching his story on the documentary. And he talked about this fact that he was doing a lot of self-talk, a lot of ruminating. I would just call it a toxic story that he was telling himself. He was in pain. He was depressed. And he woke up one morning and he uh, faked being sick. And so his dad would let him stay home from school. When his dad left... He packed up his things and he bought a bus ticket and he jumped on the bus and 
took it to a local Walgreens where he purchased his last meal. Or what he thought would be his last meal. It's a candy bar and a Mountain Dew. That sounds like a teenager. He gets back on the bus, goes to the Golden Gate Bridge, walks out to the middle. It's a beautiful day, but he's standing there in anguish and pain doing all this self-talk. He feels so isolated and alone. He's standing there trying to get the the nerve to jump. And this uh, tourist group from Asia walks up behind him. They tap him on the shoulder. And they just oblivious to what he was going through. And they said, hey, would you take our picture? There they are on vacation having a great time. Sort of like that feeling on the roller coaster. Why are all these people having such a great time and I'm in pain? And why don't they see it? He grabs the camera. He takes their picture, hands it back. They smile. Hey, thanks so much. They turn and walk away. And right then he said, man, forget it. Actually, his language was much stronger than that. But he said, forget it. And he jumped over the rail. And he said, as soon as he cleared the rail and he was hurtling towards the water, his mind cleared. And he said, right then and there, he realized, I don't want to die. And as he's hurtling towards the water, he cries out to God, which he said shocked him because he didn't even believe in God. And he said, God, if you're real, if you're there, please spare my life. And he hits the water. And he survived. But a moment or two later, he came to, and he said that sea lions were bumping his body up towards the surface of the water. Now, I don't know what to do with that, all right? And I'm not going to be the preacher who says, God sends the sea lions into your life. I mean, like that. Did God send the sea I don't know if he sent the sea lions, all right? That's not even the amazing thing about that story to me. The amazing thing about that story is that as soon as he cleared the rail, his mind cleared. That he was ruminating on all this like destructive self-talk. And then as soon as he jumped, he could think clearly. And, and this is just simply my opinion. You may not agree with it. But especially if you were here last week where we talked about how we have an enemy who who likes to deceive and lie. I think that he had him deceived. And as soon as he cleared the rail, he goes, sweet, he's mine. Cleared the clouds. And he could think. You see, if you're in this space and place where you've been ruminating, you've been listening to yourself too much, and maybe it's even brought you to this place where you might even do something destructive, can I just urge you to think again? And to cry out that yes, those those waves of anguish are very real, but they're waves. Just like they come crashing, they will recede. And you are not alone. You're not alone right now in this room, even though you might feel like it. And you're not alone. Paul even says this to us in his letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, he says this. He goes, hey, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia In other words, he's like, hey, I just want you to know that uh, uh, it might appear as if I got everything together, but I I don't. I've actually gone through a lot of trouble. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. And Paul says, man, we were going through this pain and this anguish, and from outside appearances, it may have seemed like we had our life all together. Can I just tell you that nobody's life appears as good as it seems on Instagram. What you are looking at is an image. It was probably the 25th or 26th take. Carefully placed, carefully filtered, and you're comparing your low moments with their carefully crafted highlight reel. I'm not saying they're lying. I'm just saying that it's not what it appears. 
And so Paul says, hey, don't be mistaken. Don't don't allow this destructive self-talk to take you to a place that you might do something permanently damaging. And I just say, if I could give a definition of suicide, is that suicide is a permanent, irreversible attempt to solve a temporary problem. Is what you're feeling real? Absolutely, it's real. But that's not the answer. And if you're wrestling with that right now, I just want to encourage you to, to call the, the suicide prevention hotline number. Just, just reach out. Get some help today. Don't, don't, stay, don't stay there. See, these thoughts receded for Jeremiah. Let's, let's not leave him hanging. We go back to chapter 3, verse 21. He says this. He goes, yet even I felt all this, I still dare to hope. Man, I love that, that phrase. When I remember this, the the faithful love of the Lord never ends. I don't know if he believed that yet. But I think he said it. And that's the place to begin. His mercies never cease. Great is thy faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. You might find yourself in a pit where you don't exactly know where to go, but God will meet you in that pit and he will help walk you out of it a step at a time. We actually see another example of this from another individual in the Old Testament by the name of of Elijah. And I want to just look real quickly at his story because actually we actually see how God meets Elijah in that place and helps him walk out of it. And there's some things that we can learn for our lives today. What you uh, need to know about Elijah is that um, he was one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. And he was not a weak guy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, He was a strong guy. And actually he had experienced this incredible victory in 1 Kings chapter 18, in which God showed up in an incredible way. I don't have time to unpack the story for you. Many of you know it. If you want to go back and read it later today, it'll be worth your time. But 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah gets into it with the prophets of the false god Baal. They step into the octagon, and God just embarrasses them. And he uses Elijah to do it, and it was an incredible moment of victory for him. That's chapter 18. Chapter 19... Elijah wrestles with fear, anxiety, and even depression. How did he go from the mountaintop to the valley so quickly? I alluded real briefly to it last week, but that's usually how how it works. I want to know the the moments when I'm actually the the most um, prone or vulnerable to feelings of anxiety or even depression, where I just begin to ruminate and do a lot of negative self-talk, ironically, is Sunday evenings. And man, it doesn't matter. Like, we could have 10,000 people here on the weekends. We could have 150 baptisms. All kinds of cool stories of people's lives being changed and some really neat interactions. And yet, I'll go home on Sunday evening tired and depleted. I'll, I'll get alone by myself. I'll turn on the football game. I'm only half watching it. And I just start ruminating. And we had a great weekend. But all of a sudden, I'll start thinking to myself, why did I? I'll pick out one little sentence in my message and go, man, why did I say it that way? Or why didn't I say this? Or maybe I had like a conversation with somebody in the lobby that got awkward. Or maybe I had an email came in that was really cruel and critical. And I'll just start ruminating on all that stuff. And I've actually asked people that are the closest to me to, to check on me on Sunday nights. And by check on me, I don't mean like um, just like encourage me. Like, hey, way to go. You preached a great message today. But just like sort of just in a very real way, just go, hey, man, how you doing? And my wife's one of them. Because she'll come find me alone, sitting in the dark. And she'll walk in and she'll go, hey, babe, how you doing? And I'll be like, in my honest moments, I'm like, well, I'm kind of tired right now. And 
I'm, I'm wrestling. I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little down. And she'll go, come over here, you. And I'd love to tell you the rest, but it gets really steamy at that point. And, uh, <laughs> come on now. I, let's just say it this way. Uh, the path uh, out of that pit is well-worn, baby. All right? Let's, uh, I've even been known to fake it every now and then. All right, just uh... So here's Elijah, experiences this great victory. And then look at where we find him in the very next chapter, chapter 19. Elijah was afraid. The reason why he was afraid is because Queen Jezebel threatened his life because how God had used him. And she, said, she put a timetable on it. She goes, I'm going to kill you within 24 hours. That'll induce some fear and anxiety. He's afraid. And he fled for his life. And he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah. And he left his servant there. Then he went on alone. That's a mistake. Into the wilderness. Traveling all day. And he sat down under a solitary broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. That's not true. Why is he saying that? that he's ruminating. Those, that's a toxic story that he's telling himself. Then he laid down and slept under the broom tree. And so what we see here is that we don't have a whole lot of details as to how Elijah got to this particular place in his life, but... This caused some stress and anxiety for him. Here's a few things that we just see from his story that might induce some anxiety and fear in our lives. It's just the fear of the unknown. He didn't know what was going to happen to him tomorrow. He didn't even know if he'd still be alive. Fear of the unlikely. It's unlikely to happen, but you know what? I'm, I'm worried and fuming over this. This is where a lot of self-talk goes into the negative. The, the uncontrollable. Elijah couldn't do anything about it. And then the last one is unnecessary comparisons. He's comparing himself to his ancestors. Listen, that would be all of us. We all find ourselves in these moments where we might be susceptible through those things. Next thing that we see from Elijah is that he isolated himself. It says that not, not only did he feel isolated because of his role, and many of you who are leaders in the room right now, you know that feeling of loneliness even when other people are around, that intangible weight that you carry. He felt that because he was a prophet, but he also physically got alone. He went on this wilderness trip by himself. And just like mold grows in the darkness, depression grows in isolation. Jesus himself wrestled with anxiety. I think that he was wrestling with depression in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his arrest. Why do you think he kept crying out to his disciples, his friends? Hey guys, could you just stay awake with me? He didn't need their prayers. Jesus could outpray them any day of the week. He needed their companionship. And so do you and I. It says this in Proverbs. It says that anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Which is one of the reasons why when we gather together, just assume that that person that you meet in the hallway or the lobby or the parking lot, even though you may not know them, they're probably weighed down by something. So just offer a cheerful word or an expression. You never know how God might use your words to cheer up someone else. And the last would just be this idea, of, as I've already mentioned, just false narratives and toxic stories Elijah just was repeating to himself. And so we left him underneath the broom tree by himself asleep. Look at what happens. It says, as he was sleeping, an angel touched him. 
and told him, get up and eat. And he looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones. Look at that. Baked bread. All you paleo people, give me some gluten in Jesus' name. That's what I need right there. God's answer to my anxiety. Slather that bad boy with honey butter. All right. And, and a jar of water. And so he ate and drank and then he lay down again. And so we see here that he was so depleted that the angel touched him and said, hey, you need to eat. And he ate and he was so depleted he fell back to sleep again. And then the angel came to him, verse, verses 6 and 7, then the angel came again and touched him and, and said, get up and eat some more for the journey ahead of you will be too much for you. And right here, it's easy to miss, but we see that God was not just tending to Elijah's emotional condition, but his physical one. And that part of the pathway out of these feelings that he was experiencing was his physical needs. Namely, he said, you need some sleep, you need some rest, you need some food. He didn't say it here in the passage, but exercise would be the same type of thing. Do you know that some studies are saying right now that just exercising four times a week for 20 minutes has the same effects as antidepressant medication. And so we got to stop to examine some things here. Now, now, once again, I'm not a doctor, and I know this is very, very complex. I'm just going to try to make it as simple as possible, is that when you're in, in that pit, you got to ask yourself, okay, what are the the negative thoughts that I'm sort of dwelling on and what are the chemicals that are being released because of those negative thoughts? Because there are. And then what are the positive things that I need to begin thinking about because your body biologically responds to positive thoughts and, and puts in the chemicals into your brain that can heal you from that depletion. And that's not just like you know, self-help mumbo-jumbo. The Bible reassures us of that. The Bible says that as you think in your heart... So you become. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it says this. Fix your thoughts. In other words, your thoughts won't naturally go there. You've got to in, be intentional about it. You've got to fix your thoughts on what is true. This is where God's word comes into play. That you read God's word and you memorize God's word, not because you're going to get tested on it later, but because when your mind starts to go down the path of the negative and you start to ruminate, God's word throws up a roadblock. He says, hey, I know you feel that, but it ain't true. Turn around and go another way. Fix your thoughts on what is honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Why do that? Well, this is just not think yourself into a happier place. This isn't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. There's a chemical thing that happens here. And so many of us know that there's these things called neurotransmitters. And so we've got these like chemicals that are associated with these positive, helpful thoughts. Uh, namely, here they are, uh, dopamine. Uh, dopamine, we get a hit of dopamine when we do something good or accomplish something. Uh, serotonin, which is, comes from just eating healthy foods. Oxytocin, which is just meaningful human connection. And then endorphins, which get released through exercise. So exercise isn't just about, you know, getting skinny or building muscle. It really is about mental health. And so we got all these things that get released into our brain that help replenish the depletion of our minds. But then there's other transmitters that can actually have negative effects, namely cortisol. Cortisol has its purpose, but cortisol is triggered by stress. And so when you have 
Open-ended stress, you're not actually doing anything to manage it. Cortisol is just pumping in, just flowing in. And it's slowly depleting your mind. And if you don't have those other four combating it, then you find yourself over time just getting to this place where your mind gets depleted and you just can't trust what you're feeling anymore. And so to begin the healing process, you've got to manage some of these thoughts, some of these behaviors. Can I just get super practical with you here towards the end, just real quick? And if you're wrestling with this, get help, but get different kinds of help. Not all help is equal, right? We need good friends. We need a good marriage. We need good relationships. We need good interaction. We need the help of a counselor or a therapist or a pastor. We need a mentor. We need a group. We need different kinds of help in our lives. And, and many of us are maybe ashamed or embarrassed to reach out and say we need help. Can I just say that um, don't wait till it's too late to go get counseling. There is such a thing as like preventative maintenance. It's far better. And you don't wait to change the oil in your car till after the engine's blown. Don't, don't wait till you're in the middle of a crisis where things have just blown apart before you go back. It's, it's, don't be too proud to get counseling and to get help. Here's another one is, is that it takes time, the healing process, so, so, so give it some time. And then here's another thing. You, you don't have to let it go. <laughs> some people in your life, they've watched, they've watched Frozen too many times. They're just like, man, just let it go, let it go, let it go. And you're like, shut up, all right? It's, <laughs> you don't have to let it go, just, just transfer it over. See, I think that where people get this is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, which is a fantastic verse, but we say cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's like, oh, well, I just need to let it go. Well, that's not what it says. It says cast. Now, for a long time, I actually got tripped up on that word cast. It's actually not a very good translation of that Greek word. Because when I think of cast, I think of fishing. I thought, oh, well, I've got this problem in my life, and I just need to cast it out there. <laughs> you see the logical problem with that? I'm going to reel it right back in. <laughs> and there it is again. Uh, no, actually, the, the, word, the Greek word for cast is a better word. It's transfer. So he says, transfer all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In other words, you don't just pray it away. It doesn't just go away. Just transfer it over. That's why Jesus would say the same thing. He'd say, hey, my, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Let me carry it with you. Let me come alongside of you. Last thing I would just simply say is that if you're in this place in your life where you're just feeling hopeless, understand that it's a chapter, not the conclusion. It's a chapter, not the conclusion. So... I, uh, I don't know that I've ever um, shared this um, with you from this platform in the years that I've been here, but uh, I remember um, it was about 13 years ago, and uh, I was in a season of my life where looking back, I'm pretty confident uh, I was depressed, and I didn't know what to call it. I was probably too, pr well, not probably, I was, I was too proud uh, to get help or to reach out to anybody, but I was in this funk for a good while. A lot of it was just because of I was working so hard and stressed out, not getting the results that I wanted, and Lindsay and I weren't connecting as well as we could have, and uh, largely it was my fault. And so the cortisol is just flowing in because of all the stress. And I remember getting to this place where I was just anxious every day. I was moody. Uh, for about six months straight, I would wake up every morning at about 4.30 in the morning, my eyes would pop open wide awake and I would lay there for two hours not looking forward to the day. 
And I remember it was um, Halloween 2005. It's weird how those dates stick in your mind. Uh, but I was feeling anxious all day and uh, got home a little bit early. Lindsay asked me to come home early so we, I could help with the kids. We were going to take them out trick-or-treating that night. And I, I walked in the door and went into the kitchen and kissed her as she was making dinner. And then I went straight to the bathroom, dropped to my knees, opened the toilet, and dry heaved into the toilet. I didn't, have any, I didn't eat all day. I hadn't had anything to throw up. Now, I didn't have a virus. I wasn't physically sick in some way. It was anxiety. And it was confusing. I'd never done that before. And I remember Lindsay walked in and she was like, what is wrong? And I looked up at her and I said, I don't know. But I don't know how to get out of this, this feeling. And I look back on that time and I can just say to you today that, that God, God healed me from it. But that's the word, heal. It wasn't... It wasn't like the next day I got some great news or whatever and then I just snapped out of it. But it was a healing process. Now I look back, I can't exactly put my finger on when it flipped, but it did. You know, it would have been a mistake for me to say, well, this is the conclusion. This is the end of my story. This is how it ends for, for Aaron Brockett. Never put a period where God puts a comma. And many of, that, of us just simply make that mistake. See, that's what makes a story interesting. There's always, there's always a place in every movie or in every novel where if you were to put the book down or push pause, you would go, I don't know how they're getting out of this. But if you were to shut the movie off, that would sort of be the conclusion. But actually what makes the movie or the story so good is the resolution to it. Right now, some of you are in that chapter. Uh, by the way, we won't just experience one, but probably several. And so God wants to move you beyond it. Can I just say, I look back on that season of my life and I'm actually grateful for it because I can see the God, hand of God sustaining me and I can see how God used it. He never wastes a hurt. And God used it to deepen me and to shape me and to humble me and to give me empathy that I really needed. In fact, in my uh, first few years, it doesn't happen so much anymore, but uh, my first few years here, I'd have all kinds of people say, you're awfully young. I don't really have people say that that much anymore. <laughs> Not quite sure what to think about that. But they would see how fast the church is growing, and they would look at my highlight reel, say, wow, it must be good to be you. And they would say things like, how do you keep from getting a big head? Or I don't want to compliment you because I don't want this to go to your head. It hurt every time. And I didn't often say this, but I could confidently just say, hey, listen, uh, yes, I need to keep pride in check. And there are moments when I've gotten a little too big for my britches. But every time I do, God somehow flashes that picture in my mind of me on my knees, bowing down to the porcelain bowl. And he says, you ain't, you ain't all you think you are. You're pretty weak. You're a human being. You're pretty fragile. You, you need me. Listen, the cross of Jesus Christ looked like a period, but it was a comma. And if Jesus can come back from that, you can come back from this. And we want to come around you. We want to help you. And so today, 
I just hope that you're encouraged. And today, I hope you know you got a Heavenly Father who looks at you and you are more than enough. He smiles and He's pleased with you. And I hope you'll walk out of here with some hope and some resolution to say, I want to get on the path towards healing and bring somebody into that journey with you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now. Thank you for your love and your grace that never leaves us in that pit, but provides a way out of the tunnel. And so God, I pray that we would hear a resounding words of hope from you and by your spirit that it is not a sin to be sick and life is a struggle and none of us are immune from anxiety and depression. And so we have a great amount of empathy and compassion for anyone that may be struggling with this in a more severe way than what we are. But God, we know that hope has a name and his name is Jesus and we cling to you like never before and we lend a helping hand of hope to those who are wrestling. And I pray that you would restore us and bring healing and hope to us that the church would lead the way because we have the truth of Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name and together the church says,